0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Julian Tregar, who's the CEO of Anglo-Pacific, who are a global natural resources royalty company listed on both the London Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange, and aiming to become a leading natural resources company through investing in high-quality projects in preferred jurisdictions with trusted counterparties and underpinned by strong ESG principles. Um, With a diverse uh, portfolio of assets in well-established mining jurisdictions, um, they have a strong balance sheet to fund new acquisitions, um, and it's a good base to grow from. Um, Julian uh, comes from the financial industry and has an MBA from Harvard School, Harvard Business School, and a BA from Harvard University, and is at the helm of Anglo-Pacific. So it'd be interesting to hear um, Julian's views on the royalty market and how Anglo-Pacific are progressing. So I want to welcome Julian to the podcast. How you doing, Julian? Oh, great! Thank you for having me on. No, and I appreciate your time as well. So I wondered if you can give our audience um, a, a little bit about a background about yourself, um, about your career. So maybe from when you when you were at Harvard, um, how your career progressed to sort of current day. Um, maybe something that people may not know about you in the industry. Um, and then I've got a number of questions that I
1: want to ask you, so I hand it over to you. So do my best. Well, um, when I graduated from um, Harvard Business School, I ended up working for um, Lord Rothschild for a couple of years. Uh, so the first thing I did uh, was to be involved with the bid for BAT Industries with uh, Sir James Goldsmith and Kerry Packer, and I had you know tremendous experience there, um, and was involved in quite a lot of corporate finance um, activities. And so when I left him, I decided to become a sort of activist. Um, and I got involved in <clears throat> restructuring of a number of big household names in the 90s that had gotten into trouble like Saatchi and Saatchi, WPP, Signet, uh, a real estate company called Greycoat. And with that, I started with a, a partner Um, the first activist funds effectively in the UK. So I did that for a number of years, um, but I found as one was more and more successful and you had a reputation, it was difficult to get managements to work with you. And so I decided uh, to change that and become a sort of friendly uh, investor. And that led me in due course to invest in the natural resources space initially in 2005. I had some beginner's luck um, and then found a coal company, which was getting into trouble called Western Coal. Um, we took a 26% stake in that. I went on the board and then using the activist toolbook, um, I made a number of changes in terms of management and strategy, et cetera. And we were fortunate enough to sell that for three and a half billion dollars at the top of the market. Um, to Walter Energy, which subsequently went into Chapter 11 and is now renamed Warrior Energy. Um, And it was after that uh, and that success in coal that uh, the board of Anglo-Pacific approached me to become CEO because Anglo-Pacific had previously grown out of a coking coal royalty in Australia. They had bought, I, I believe, a farm in the 90s, which they thought had gold in it, um, it was a sheep farm, uh, but it didn't have gold. It had um, very high-quality coking coal beneath it. And because we owned the land rights, we were entitled to a significant royalty. Uh, both BHP and Rio built coking coal mines underneath the land that we bought. Uh, and that whole quarter of a million dollar, I think, investment has led to around half a billion dollars of um royalty income in the subsequent sort of 20, 25 years. So that's the sort of uh, history of how I got involved with, uh, with Anglo Pacific. Um, and that was, you know, seven years ago. Since then, we've really sought to transform the business um, uh, completely, uh, you know, going from almost 100% coal, when now um, around, you know, 12, 13% of the assets is that original, uh, a coal mine called Kestrel.
0: Okay, that's uh, a fa- fasc- fascinating uh, background. I want to just take you back. Um, you said obviously you you worked with Kerry Packer, and obviously a lot of our Australian uh, listeners will obviously know who Kerry Packer is. How was it working with him, and what kind of things did you learn learn from him? Um, obviously, back in the day.
1: Well. Um... I mean, he was, you know, not a man of many words. Um, uh, but he was very um, focused. So I, I thought, um, you know, one could learn a lot about how to really get things done if you really want to and focus on them, not to be distracted. Um, I mean, I did also have his son working for me for a while as an assistant. Um, and uh, I don't think he was... He was a perfect father to his son, but then he, his father wasn't very good to him. Uh, and so there's a lot of pattern rep- repetition there. Um, and I remember also when I worked for Sir James Goldsmith, he said, don't write anything down. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and he said to me, I want to know how things can be done, not why they can't be done. Uh, so there were, there were some interesting lessons working with those uh, you know, larger than life characters.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, So going back to Anglo-Pacific, the past few weeks, we've seen an extraordinary amount of activity uh, with Anglo-Pacific Group, um, in particular with your um, regarding your recent acquisition of Varsity uh, Bay uh, Goldport Stream transaction. Um, Can you tell, tell the audience a little bit more about this and what it means to Anglo?
1: Well, I think we've been on a path for a couple of years at Angler, you know, in trying to transition, as I say, away from our cold heritage to being part of the story of mining in the 21st century. I think the whole mining sector is shifting from being part of almost a 19th century sort of industrial uh, image of belching smoke and dirtiness to being an integral part of cleanliness Uh, a green, you know, more responsible world. Uh, And we are part of that path for many years already. As I say, we've been diversifying away from coal. We've said we wouldn't invest in thermal coal. Uh, We've been focused for a number of years already on very high quality, pure commodities, which have less contaminants, less pollutants. And we believe, you know, in time are increasingly valued by consumers. Um, And this uh, Boise Bay acquisition, which is up to $230 million, it's quite large for us, was a considerable uh, and distinctive uh, transformational step further in that direction. Because at one stroke, it really, you know, increased our exposure to battery materials uh, very significantly. Um, You know, the nickel mine, which produces the cobalt, which we've got a stream over, is amongst the um, uh, best in the world in terms of its carbon footprint. Um, it's a low-cost mine. It's in Canada, um, and so I think for people who want exposure to cobalt, obviously you can get that a little bit through Glencore. You can get it through Wheat and Precious, but if you want a lot of exposure relative to the rest of the commodities, you know, I hope that Anglo Pacific will become the go-to stock for people to visit who want talk to cobalt, and we're very Optimistic about the future of um, cobalt demand,
0: and so what attracted to Anglo Pacific to um, Farsi Bay Stream in particular? What, what I suppose were well, the current...
1: I mean, I Anglo mean, Pacific has like lots and lots of criteria to do a deal, and that's one of the reasons why we're sort of not a deal machine as a royalty company. You can, of course, do a lot. Uh, everybody would like money. Uh, but making profitable investments is much trickier. And so we have very high standards uh, that need to be fulfilled. It needs to be in a good jurisdiction. It is because it's in Canada. It needs to be a low-cost mine. This one is. It needs to have a good operator. This one's operated by Vale. It needs to have a long life, which it does, you know, 2034. Needs to have optionality we don't pay for. And there are various um, mine life extension Uh, Prospects uh, here. Obviously, with an ESG perspective, it needs to be responsible, but also the product needs to be clean and pure without contaminants, which it is. This one can be um, a premium cobalt product. And that's really sort of in contrast to a lot of the other cobalt produced in the world. Less than 10% of the world's cobalt is produced in um, OECD jurisdictions. So we think conflict free cobalt is rare, and then, of course, it needs to produce the right returns for us. Um, And um, we believe that with the prospects we think cobalt has this should produce returns in the low teens, which is very respectable for a royalty company. And when we decide what commodity we want to go into, we also try and find commodities where the consensus we believe is overly pessimistic. We believe that, you know, because the best way of making money in mining is to buy cheap. Uh, and the, the most impossible way, uh, the best way of losing money, rather, is to buy expensive, uh, because it's all cyclical. And, and, you know, cobalt more than halved from its peaks a few years ago. It's gone up a bit this year, uh, but it's still, you know, around half of where it was. Um, and, and so we think there's real prospects of it outperforming consensus pricing in the coming years.
0: Okay and um, what wonder if you can tell um, tell us a little bit about the wider cobalt market what, what what's that like? and how do you guys fit into that picture?
1: Well, the cobalt market, it's not huge, um, although it's expected to grow a lot in the coming years. And actually, as of today, around half of cobalt demand still comes from the aerospace sector. So that already was for us quite interesting because clearly, the aerospace sector has been really badly hit by COVID. Um, you know, people are traveling less, though there's more um, cargo. Um, but when the aerospace sector recovers, there should be a lot of demand just from that part of the um, cobalt um, customer base. And then, of course, we have the um, extremely interesting fast growth rates predicted for batteries, uh, for electric vehicles. And we think that cobalt will be Uh, integral part of that. We think that um, the way in which batteries have evolved has meant that cobalt is less uh, important than it used to be in the cost of a battery and therefore um, with thrifting less um, uh, exposure is to cobalt. So if cobalt price doubles or triples from here it's not going to make a huge difference in terms of substitution. So we think there's going to be ongoing demand for cobalt and then Thirdly, um, I think cobalt is a strategic metal, um, and we have seen the Chinese stockpiling it this year, which caused the price to rise. Uh, I think what we're seeing now, and since Biden came to office, nothing is persuading me otherwise, particularly as the rhetoric ratchets up with China again, and then also with Russia. I think we're going to see the breakdown we have seen already with COVID a bit of global supply chains, um, international supply chains. The Chinese will have their supply chains. The Americans are trying to develop their supply chains. The Europeans are gonna have their supply chains. The Japanese will have their supply chains. I hope the UK has a supply chain. Um, And each of these countries is going to need a stockpile uh, to make sure that they can have that. So I think we haven't even seen the beginning of cobalt stockpiling yet. So all those three elements come together to present quite a rosy picture uh, for cobalt demand uh, in in years to come. And cobalt supply generally comes as a byproduct from, um, you know, polymetallic nickel mines or copper mines or iron mines. All of those things are very difficult to build at the drop of a hand, uh, you know. So there's a long supply um, pipeline to get more cobalt. there's obviously brownfield's extension possibilities, but self-standing cobalt mines are almost non-existent in the world. Um, and so, you know, it's, it will take some time for um, supply to um, uh, recover. Sorry, I just got a call there. Um, and, uh, and, 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 so, and so that, you know, it makes us feel very positive yeah
0: um one of the key reasons for investment you mentioned was that it positions anglo Pacific in resources required for the 21st century um what do you mean by that and why does it matter to um to your stakeholders
1: well i think it matters to our stakeholders because i think there's going to be a lot of demand for that and the rating for uh, 21st century material exposure should be much higher than for Bulk materials like um, coal and um, iron. Ore. I mean, I- I've been somewhat surprised that our share price hasn't responded more yet to this change. Um, hopefully, uh, in coming um, you know months, that will be reflected. But we now have sixty percent exposure to battery materials, um, to copper, to vanadium, to um, uh, Some we have some nickel, very interesting nickel uh, in the pipeline, very interesting copper in the pipeline, and obviously now a lot of exposure to cobalt. So, um, as the story becomes better known, uh, I think it will create value for our shareholders. And we continue to look for more um, of these materials, um, you know, including um, manganese, um, including rare earths uh, to to keep. bolstering the story and you know keep marching in that direction
0: Yeah, certainly um how do you see the potential of the mining sector currently um and are you looking at at completing on any other deals
1: well i think the mining sector as i said is at a very very interesting point i mean i do believe we're going to be in this quite long period of um, elevated demand for certain mining materials i think that covid will end up it's been a disaster for the world, it's been tragic. But for the mining sector, actually, I, I think it's, it will be one of the more um, uh, benefiting sectors than, than many others, like retailing, for instance, or you know, hotels. Uh, because not only is there gonna be an increased um, uh, emphasis on you know, health, on the environment, Um, But all the governments that are going to be spending money on infrastructure plans in a sort of synchronized way, a lot of that money will go towards, you know, um, infrastructure and greening. Uh, And those things need our raw materials. So I think the demand picture looks quite positive for uh, a number of years. And on the supply side, um, you know, we've just had a period of a decade where there's been relative underinvestment. Um, the majors have really focused on returning capital um, and it takes 25 years from the discovery of a deposit to bring it into commercial production. So actually for this next cycle, it's too late. Um, the, the supply has to come from brownfields extensions um, or some sort of recycling. So I think we have a picture where um, demand is going to be strong supply is going to be pretty constrained and that's a good recipe for our for the next for our sector for the next couple of years
0: yeah I mean it seems the perfect storm um, under supply of materials um, pre- obviously previously obviously with the government with all their plans around a, a, a greener a greener economy um, I think a lot of the electric uh, for instance energy, um, is outdated and looking to sort of transform those types of energy, for instance, wind, solar, all needs a lot of, um, obviously, materials from the mining industry. Um, and, yeah, with a lot of, obviously, government spending on infrastructure, because I think everything does need to change. I think, um, obviously, if you look at, obviously, like I said, mentioned energy, um, all the the, the different types of energy the world is using it needs to be upgraded and updated um, and a lot of this comes from obviously mining so I think it's the, the perfect storm for the mining industry and to turn the, the industry in a positive um, a positive way for the next few decades at least. Um, obviously but I, I do think the that.
1: industry needs to do much more I mean I believe all of that but I don't think they should think well you know we're going to be beneficiaries so we can sit on our laurels I think the industry really needs to transform its complexion quite fundamentally I think versus many other sectors we've been too slow in terms of you know adapting to changes I think the sector needs to look far far more diverse you know there needs to be uh, an acceptance of um, historic issues you know more focus on rehabilitation I think th- there will be it will be good but there's going to be disruptive change uh, and and the incumbents need to really not sit you know on their on their backsides they really need to move as well if they really want to take advantage of, 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 of the new mood
0: yeah and I suppose like you said the mining industry it has always been. Um, slow to change and slow to react to change but I think now they need to change and it's those challenges that people will face in the mining industry to make those changes um, no matter how difficult it is for them but they need yeah. they need to change um, so that's going to be that's going to be interesting to see how a lot of companies and people as well adapt to new environments and a new way of thinking and bringing in
1: technology so um, yeah, I think technology is going to be a big piece of it. I think, I mean, for the, in the next decade, I think our sector will go something akin, undergo something akin to an industrial revolution. And I think where possible, people are going to work out combustion processes from, from um, uh, things like steelmaking. And I think that will happen. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be big changes. I think it's very exciting. But as I said, you know, if you think that it's just going to remain as it is with more demand and less supply, that's not the case. I think it's going to change.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, so concluding, what's next for Anglo-Pacific Group and and what would you say the, the sort of near to medium term future is?
1: I think Anglo-Pacific needs to you know build on this transformational step. By taking further steps and cementing the perception in the market's mind that um, we are the go-to significant battery materials slash 21st century materials um, royalty streaming business. And so we just need to build on it. Uh, We need to get bigger. We need to raise our profile in Canada in particular. I mean, we're an odd company in that we're listed in the UK, as you mentioned, we have a listing in Canada, um, but we have no assets in the UK. 60% of our assets are in Canada, 25% are in Australia. So we're more uh, Canadian and Australian than, than British. Um, and, you know, those markets actually value streaming and royalty companies very highly. So we also will plan to increase our profile in those jurisdictions. Um, as well as doing new deals.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of our audience are in those countries, in Australia and Canada. So um, obviously, the, hopefully they can spread spread the word and, um, and promote, um, pr- promote Anglo-Pacific uh, amongst their colleagues and peers. So um, yeah, we certainly got a, a, a strong listening in those countries anyway. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, if they've got any questions, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any social media channels?
1: Well, I, I am on, on Twitter, um, you know, with, uh, with my Anglo pacific um, handle. Uh, but, but we, you know, we're a public company. Uh, we have uh, uh, free access to anybody who'd like to learn more. Uh, by all means, uh, feel free to contact me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on email. Uh, we have IR people. Um, so we'd be very interested in engaging in a dialogue uh, with people who are interested in learning more.
0: Yep, certainly. And those, um, those would be uh, accompanying the show notes in this podcast as well. So we we'll put all those details there. So if anyone wants to reach out to Julian, um, look at the show notes um, and obviously you can make contact. If you've got any questions around, um, around what Anglo Pacific are doing, I'm sure Julian would be happy to, uh, Happy to answer them. So um, really appreciate your time um, and informing us of Anglo-Pacific and what you have been doing and what you're looking to do. Um, and I appreciate our audience, um, whoever's listening. Appreciate if you can share um, share this podcast to other colleagues that you know in the industry. Also, if you're watching on a YouTube channel, appreciate if you can like below and also share the, the, the video to other People in the industry, other people that you feel that will benefit from listening to this podcast or uh, video recorded. So um, I appreciate your time again, Julian. And until Thank next you so time, much. no, as,
1: and until it's my next first time, time doing a, a podcast. So yeah, uh, no, it went relatively and, well. Yeah, and uh, and I hope I hope you have me back again when we do the next
0: year. Yeah, certainly we can give we can certainly give um, updates as well um, later this year, next year, um, and. Yeah, you can obviously give us an update every every periodically, um, and we can have and people obviously can then follow the progress of of your company um, and how how you're doing because obviously things do change, and I imagine the industry is going to change so much for for people for companies um, in a short space of time.
1: Yeah, well, it would be interesting to watch. Thank you so yeah. much. No for, for having me on, and uh, uh, I uh, I look forward to coming again.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thank Thank you very much, Julian. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to
1: improve the mining industry.